Welcome to the Quaredev Midcast with your host Adam Matwatch. Okay, so let's start the last in this year Midcast, Quaredev Midcast, where we have two more experts and uh, what experts they, they are. This is like the first time when I uh, have somebody that I haven't met on Eurostar because all previous pre previous meetups were people that that um, I have known on the, this this conference. Um, but so this is like an exception, and I'm really glad that the Midcast is expanding and more people um, got to know about it and would like to participate it in a different way as a as a guest or as a participant. Uh, today we have two great experts from a testing uh, world which have much 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 more experience than than I do I feel as a newbie especially in the exploratory testing field which I till now I thought that I, I am quite good at it and and know something but the more I studied um, the the work of, of of our guests the the more I was intimidated that I don't know no, I, I know nothing right you know nothing John snow and and so well, let me help me welcome um, Maret and sorry I really don't know how to pronounce your surname so <laughs> could you help me with uh, with that part Maret Hi Arvi <laughs> Oh my god it's even more difficult than uh, <laughs> You know it's fine. I'm I'm good by my first name and it went perfectly so Great. Uh, sorry for that, and, and thank you for, for support. So Maret is a principal test engineer, and has uh, she called herself uh, is a uh, day job. Um, her day job um, is um, she's a ferry with a day job at uh, Vaisala, and she identifies as empirical test. Uh, technologist, tester and programmer, a catalyst for improvement, author and speaker. And I have met uh, Maret on a, a conference, uh, Testing United, where I was really impressed by uh, her presentation about uh, different kinds of tests and how you can interact with, with testers, how we can um, uh, group them together and um, have a more insightful ways and uh, techniques of, of testing. Uh, so welcome and thank you very much for accepting my invitation. And our second guest is uh, Annie-Marie Charret, uh, uh, who excels um, at creating spaces where quality thrives. And, uh, she's a co-founder of Testing Times and Principal Engineer, um, uh, quality, Principal Quality Engineer. Uh, she also have her own uh, podcasts. Uh, so, uh, Anne Marie, if um, I will need some help uh, today, I will call up for you and gladly use your your help and support today on uh, how to do a better podcast. Because obviously, you have more experience and is uh, and are much better than I am at it. So. Uh, also to you, uh, I'm really glad that you accepted my invitation and I'm really honored that uh, you two have joined me on this Meetcast. So without further ado, let's jump into the topic of uh, today's Meetcast, where we will try to reclaim the exploratory tests. And my first question would be, what are the exploratory tests? Right? There are some different opinions about uh, what we can call exploratory testing and even does it exist, right? So let's start by defining what how what do you call exploratory tests and maybe we can start with uh, you Anna Marie Yeah thanks thanks Adam um so look 
Um, exploratory testing has been around for a long time. In fact, I would suggest we've been performing exploratory testing since the day the first piece of software code was written, probably as it was written um, to some degree. Um, you know, it's it, it was coined in 1984 by, uh, I think it was 84 by Kem Kaner. So it's about 30, I think it's 38 years old. Um, it's um, really... The original definition, the plainest definition was, you know, test, test execution and test design in parallel. Uh, personally, I feel that doesn't really do it a great a great service. I mean, it sort of describes sort of what happens when you do exploratory testing. But um, to me, exploratory testing is all about that feedback. You know, it's performing a test. It's learning from the result. And it's using that information to feed back into the next test. That, that, that's it in a very simple sort of definition of, of what exploratory testing is. Um, Kem Kaner goes on to describe how it's sort of, it's the individual, you know, it's the, the person at the center is, is at the center of the testing. He's making the testing or she's making the testing decisions, um, you know, and that's central to that concept. So it's not being handed out to something else. It's the, 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 the tester is in charge of everything that's happening. So it's not, you know, if you think of a external man, manual test or an external test automated script, you've kind of, to some degree, the execution might be handed over to something else. Well, in exploratory testing, he suggests that the testing is central to the, to the person who is doing the testing. What do you think, Marat? Do you have, you've probably got a very, very slightly different definition there. Yeah, I, I have a slightly different definition. And I'm not so big on definitions in general. Uh, I just know that it's a very important word for me in the sense of uh, I've been in organizations where we didn't do exploratory testing. It was very obvious. So we had requirements and and we would carefully design test cases and, and we would have to do them. And that's as far from exploratory testing as I can imagine, where you kind of narrow things down so that you can have a plan in advance. So I use, I define kind of personally, I define exploratory testing as, as you know, not that. It's more of the what we actually do when, when we do test. And recently I've come to the conclusion that when we say exploratory testing, there's actually two versions of it. There's exploratory testing, uh, the verb, is basically all testing is exploratory. We all think that way. But then there's exploratory testing, the noun, where uh, it describes a way of setting a particular style of testing in an organization where uh, it's learning centric. Uh, it's uh, uh, basically it centers the, the human, like uh, not necessarily saying you can't use automation to run your tests, but automation is in service of that human. So kind of the agency, the, the, uh, the drive to, to learn that level of, of whoever is performing the testing is, is central to that. So I think a lot of the confusion comes from this idea that the noun and the verb get confused. And, and there's no way of saying which one of them I'm, I'm thinking of when I say exploratory testing. But definitely it looks different in practice when you're exploring. Thank you very much for that, Marat, because you, I, I, I believe that you perfectly underline and make peace between uh, the, the, the 
two sides that sometimes dispute about um, are there exploratory testing even should be used the word exploratory there, right? Because I fully agree that one, on one side, there is part of exploration everywhere. Even if you do a script, you first usually explore something. You explore uh, requirements. You explore the software uh, that is already written, maybe some libraries inside the code, right? So, so you, you do some exploration, right? But uh, at the same time, I believe we need this division into, okay, exploratory testing because that helps us um, he helps us in putting some mindset uh, when we perform tests, right? Because when we are performing test cases, we are execute actually executing test cases. Then we are more focusing on checking the stuff that was already somehow formalized. When we do exploration, then we have the things that Animarit have mentioned. Things like I have I have written some 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 notes here down like feedback, right? So you have a feedback loop in in uh, scripted test cases. You usually don't have too much feedback loops. You just make the the test steps uh, in some correct order and then put some information and feedback um, in the script. But you don't use that feedback for the next tests. You usually in the scripted test, at least in my head. Uh, the same as the charge, who is in charge? Uh, Anne-Marie, you mentioned that the tester is in charge in the exploratory test. Fully agree on that one. When we use scripted testing, usually the test manager is in charge. He puts the order of the test cases that will be executed somehow. Even if the tester is in charge, he has very limited uh, flexibility, right? Usually on, should I execute firstly test, this test case or that one, right? So I, I love your definition, Mark, because you, you made a piece between um, all, uh, all, all sides, at least. That's my understanding. Did I understand correctly? Well, there's, uh, I don't know if I'm making a piece. What I'm trying to do is make some sense into uh, all these concepts in my head, because there's also the dimension of good quality laboratory testing that messes all this, this discussion up, because you can do really bad exploratory testing just almost unrecognizable as exploratory testing. But if you are learning, it's going to change, you know, every single day into better, and it's a self-fixing problem. But if it actually was scripted testing and you just call it exploratory, then it won't fix itself. So the, the, these little kind of uh, differences on how we talk about things, uh, they've been very important to me in trying to, uh, well, learn to do testing myself, but also helping my colleagues learn how to do testing better. Thank you very much for that follow-up. And then maybe not to dwell too much about the definition. I don't want to go into philosophical uh, direction. Let's go more concrete and more deeper. What do you think, uh, and we will start this time with you, Maret. Uh, what do you think, what are the essential skills uh, that every explorer should have, right? Because I can imagine that if you are doing a scripted testing, you have to know some techniques, right? You have to uh, know how to make scripts in a proper way. Uh, so some examples, some experience maybe. And if we're speaking about exploratory tests, what are the essential skills of Testro? So again, I don't know if it's uh, uh, essential skills as much, but it's more like uh, the the curiosity and learning that you need as a foundation. Then kind of like looking the level of skills it's uh recognizing problems when you see it. it's not obvious at all like you might be looking at a software piece uh, that has a bug and and you just think it's it's normal you have no way of recognizing that so it's kind of a foundation skill that you need to start recognizing different kinds of problems then just kind of the the generation of ideas so curiosity if you are happy with 
I tried this one thing, it won't take you very far. So being able to kind of generate more and more ideas. I think Anne-Marie probably has a long list of, of skills that she can add to this. Uh, I, I, the, the joy of answering the question second means I get time to think about it. <laughs> you know. um, yeah, look, I, I think um, just to touch on that ideation, thinking up ideas, I think when I look at you get two testers side by side, one of them will find kind of, I guess, bugs could be about UI or the color doesn't look great. Whereas another tester might find something that's like, you know, sort of absolutely just by sort of prodding, seems to magically prod in the right place and the whole thing just falls apart, right? Um, so, so there's clearly some differences between there is a skill in there. It's a very, very hard skill to see. Um, the nature of exploratory testing appears to be invisible, you know. Um, I, I think the... Um, the the ideation thing is um, that, that the thinking behind what else, you know, how else might it be different? And it's that kind of um, lateral extrapolation of here's some information. What, what might that mean? How else could it be different? What, how else could I get a different result? And it's those sorts of questions that you're asking when you see that result that triggers you to go off and do something different. And I've seen people do that exceptionally well, and I've seen people really struggle at that. So I think there's something innate in that sort of ability to kind of keep going when at the face of it, it doesn't look like there is anything there. Um, it's like you probing it, you know, and you're kind of, um, as I call it, you know, you know, kind of just unpeeling and trying to discover. Um, so I think there's a huge amount of that persistence. I think it takes a, quite a bit of courage to do exploratory testing. Maybe that's not, that's a trait, not a skill, um, because it, it's it's um, not easy because you can't really see what it is. You know, I think people, when you look at test automation, it's kind of like, yeah, it's easy to kind of, I can see that, I can see the red or the green, that's really easy to identify as a thing. Um, and it's technical. So people, it appeals to people in a technical sort of domain. But exploratory testing is harder because you can't see it. You don't really have anything to show except these bugs. You know? um, and you look like you're just playing around. So I think, you know, that just that ability to be able to explain what you're doing, um, great sort of observation skills, practice looking at a system in lots of different dimensions. Um, Elizabeth Zagrober sort of describes um, exploratory testing as that ability to sort of abstract, look at things at many different levels and pull connections between those. So I think that's that's true too. So if you think about, oh, I see something at the GUI and then dive into the code and look at what how the code is written and allow that information to feed back up into the into the GUI, that sort of connections and um, ability to kind of look beyond is, is essential. Thank you very much for that, Anna-Marie. And I have a follow-up to one of the things that you said, that uh, in uh, like a scripted testing, you can sometimes go technical, right, about how the uh, how to write the script and what in the script will be. And I wonder, what does it mean for exploratory testers? Should they be a technical people or not? Because I can imagine that as a technical person, I can uh, look, uh, I can be biased at some points, right? And uh, I will not have so much open-minded. But at the same time, 
if I'm not technical, then I might not understand the software and be bad at exploration. So um, what would be better and how to maybe leverage these kind of skills like being technical or being not technical uh, when implementing exploratory tests in your organization or do, uh, doing exploratory tests, exploring software? I need to kind of start this one with saying uh, there's this very popular nowadays, which basically says, uh, assume all women are technical and capable of breathing fire. And replace that women with all testers are technical and capable of breathing fire. Sometimes we dim the, the flame a bit so that they are not always breathing that fire, but they are capable. So I'm, I'm very alert to this idea of, of uh, kind of like saying people are technical or not. There's so many different kinds of technical skills. But whereas uh, assuming you need programming skill uh, for writing a script, I don't think you necessarily that's not necessarily the point that we were making earlier. It's it's more maybe like a, a bridge that we're building here. And for me in particular, I believe that test automation is just a way of docking while exploring. You know, you can do that. If you have a style of writing code, uh, you can document in code. And if you're missing that one skill there, you still do resting without being able to do that documentation that way, but it then means that hopefully you will have a collaboration skill that will enable you to take whatever you learned to the next person with those learning skills for the things you want to leave uh, uh, for later, uh, posterity, whatever that is in your project. Thank you for that, Maret. Anne-Marie? Yeah, I'd like to shift away from this technical and non-technical. I sort of totally agree with what Maret's saying, um, but I, th I think it's just not very helpful either or black, white, you know, um, we as testers, we, we're, we're sort of, um, to me, it's it's the more skills I have, the more different types of, of abstractions, or when I say abstractions, I mean, sort of, I'm looking at the product, I'm looking at technical level, I'm looking at, you know, the architecture, I'm looking at how support happens. To me, the more I know and understand about a system, the better I can explore the, all the different areas and I can start making connections between all these different areas and explore different aspects. If I can only, if I only look in one level, I can do some great work at that level. And maybe that's the only level that's needed. You know, I think, um, you know, the, the, the fact that you have someone who deeply understands a domain and you deeply understands a product is hugely valuable and really um, overlooked sometimes, you know, that the value that brings um, and, and, you know, that a tester often is that bridge between um, the product and, and technical because they, they have both. Um, but, you know, just having a, a tester who has that domain knowledge is, and can do great exploratory testing in that space is, is a huge asset to a company. Um, and um, I think, you know, in that case, potentially they don't necessarily have to, have, they have more product experience than technical experience. Um, but, you know, th so their strength is in a different place, but they have both. Thank you for that one. And uh, I will now go more deeply uh, into the uh, exploratory tests uh, because um, I agree, right, that the more knowledge the, uh, of the domain and the more knowledge technical skills and so on you have, the better you are exploring. But there is this um, 
not how, how to say it. Uh, I have some examples of, of histories when I was very experienced tester on the project and there was this junior tester that just have joined or person that have just shifted jobs and this is his, his or her first job in the IT. And they were finding defects that I haven't seen in my eyes, right? So because I already was so experienced and so on the on the on the stuff that I haven't seen some some other mm, things on my way. So I was wondering, are there some techniques that you could recommend that you know some kind of uh, approaches to testing? How to not be so biased? How to avoid these 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 uh, biases? Looking in one direction and and uh, putting yourself in a box because you are working so long on the project. And maybe this time we can start with Marat. Sure, we can start with me. <laughs> this time I don't need to jump on <laughs> the question. So um, I believe we can't do much about the fact that we will be by. So welcoming other people's uh, feedback and not trying to assume two people doing the same testing is somehow overlapping work. That's the the best advice that I generally give on, on this topic. So welcome everyone to join in. It's it's a good uh, thing to do. But also on the technique side, uh, I really love this idea of the social software testing approaches, having an, a group, an ensemble testing together or doing pair testing. They're both very helpful in the sense of, of uh, you know, staying humble and noticing that the newbie things that I don't know and the other way around and it creates this kind of like respect for, you know, daring to ask those questions on what, what just happened there? Oh, I thought it was normal. Actually, yes, sure, you know. It's, it's kind of like it's a lens that you can, you can use when you have someone else working with you in the same space at the same time. And space is virtual as well. This is a space. So we could just as well do it here if we wanted to. But maybe the focus today is a little bit different. Thank you for that. Uh, Anna-Marie, you, do you have yeah. some ideas? Um, I've just gone blank at the question again. <laughs> Sorry, what's the question? Okay, uh, so uh, could you recommend some ideas, uh, techniques, uh, things that we could use to not uh, like look into one direction only, like the ensemble that Marat have mentioned? And I yeah. can recommend that to everybody. Just Google it. It's, 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 it's great. Yeah, sorry. So, so look, I think bias, it's inherent. We all have it. And, um, you know, that, that um, you know, becoming absolutely, I think we're, everyone was nodding. <laughs> yes, we've all been there. Um, so, look, there's not much you can, I mean, I don't think there's much you can do with bias. Um, I think you can avoid becoming fixated. And ex exactly with the ideas that, uh, that Moret was was mentioning, but also trying to have diversity of, of models that you're using. Um, diversity, you know, everyone has their favorite type of testing technique or approach or, or way of doing things. And, you know, maybe sort of always going to the boundaries is your thing because you know that's where you find bugs, you know. And so you, you kind of get a strength in an area and you like to go to those because they are they give you that dopamine hit when you find the bug. Um, but but I think you have to um, you know take a step back. Part of being an exploratory tester is to be able to um, observe how you are testing and, and to take a step back and say, am I doing something 
you know, am I doing the same thing again? Can I switch this? Can I do something different? Do I need to take a break? Do I need to step back and go off and do something completely different for half a day because I've becoming sort of, um, but you know, not but um, biased because you're always going to be biased, but I'm becoming fixated in, in how I'm doing something and I need to change things and switch things around. So I think you know, there's there's things anyone can do that to help that. Um, at the end of the day, you know, it's it's really hard to find all those bugs. And um, having a group of different types of people, as Marat said, is is a great way also to to attract that diversity. Thank you very much. So we, we I would like to underline that one, the diversity. I think that's the, that's the word that is, that is needed here, right? Having people from different environments with different experience, um, uh, with different background, uh, and so on and so forth. And uh, I love one of the examples um, how you can open your mind by by um, you can have your mind opened by some 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 people that you could say have less experience on the job, but at the same time they are then less less biased. Uh, when uh, I was performing a workshop on um, uh, exploratory testing tours. And there was uh, this tour called Landmark Tour. Uh, and on the Landmark Tour, this, uh, this, this person from the group asked me, uh, Adam, uh, because on the Landmark Tour, you uh, look in, the, in your software for uh, places that are like landmarks, right? So the, the, the main things that you have to visit, right? You want to visit on, on your tour. And he asked me, but Adam, can I interpret it in a different way? Because there are some landmarks that you could visit only in the night, for example, because of the lights that are shading on the on the landmark, and uh, or for example during the day only, because you can see some view only during the day, and so on and so forth. And to me, that was like blowing my mind because I was looking at the uh, landmark tour only in one direction, but you uh, like a perspective of main features in your app. And he was thinking about landmark tour as different hours because maybe during the night something happens, maybe uh, during some concrete hours, like maybe everybody is doing their transactions uh, in the um, financial system only during some period of time, right? So uh, yeah, that's true that the diversity of experience or any kind of diversity, I, I believe helps um, uh, testing. So how to actually be better at testing, at exploratory testing especially, right? How we can become better testers, better explorers, you could say, in your work? Maybe this time, Annie-Marie? Yeah, I think, uh, look, we've touched on a bit about that. Um, I think um, that diversity, so so when I, when I talked about sort of being aware, self-aware of how you test, I think that's a really useful way of being able to kind of take a step back and or go meta, as I call it, is sort of, you know, being able to observe how you're doing. And, and pairing with people helps you do that because it kind of, um, you know, you can have a rubber duck that sort of, you know, ask, you can ask those questions yourself mentally, but actually there's nothing like having a second person who, who will bring you a different perspective, even in your own head about how you're doing and, and what's happening. So I think there's that. Um, so, so that's, that's one thing. Um, I, I think that, um, there's also an aspect about building confidence in your, in your ability. I think being able to identify how you do things and then go and say, okay, this is how I do things to realize that you are actually, you have some sort of, uh, um, innate system that you're using 
you know, you you do have a method in there. It might not appear externally like something that, you know, is recognizable. But if you actually step back and think about how you begin and approach your testing, you do have a system. And, and it been able to identify that system and then go, okay, how can I make that better? I think that's really, really useful. Certainly that's what that's what's helped me. Um, it's given me confidence more than anything else to say, you know what, this is not just a random thing. This is me doing something in a in a in a disciplined way, which has helped me sort of be even more confident about what I do. Thank you for that. I fully agree with with uh, trying to reflect on yourself and being humble, right? Being humble and getting back to the basics, right? That that that's how you can uh, explore yourself, your skills, and make them better, make that make be better at exploration. Uh, Marette, what do you think about this? If there's some way that you can visualize what you're doing, then you can show whatever you were doing or the visualization that you were creating out of what you did to someone else, hopefully with experience or at least willingness to give you feedback that's a lot but if you don't have that other person uh, one of the things that helped me over the years is I had this kind of like a, a leaf where I had a, like an A4 paper that I split into different sectors so I had like my my long-term plan and my short-term plan uh, on a paper so that they were anchoring things for me and then I had my my details and my my uh, new test ideas on the kind of the bottom kind of the the while I'm testing being generated apart. And, and then just kind of, you know, like I, I would say almost measuring, but more like monitoring how much do I spend my time in each of these different kind of areas and, and how my thinking process goes. So if you have a model that helps you figure out how you're learning, uh, it probably also helps you get better at the way you would do that thing. And external feedback, uh, seeing what others do, what you miss, what customers find. It's always a good use of time to go and analyze all of those things that your team ended up doing and have ideas of, of what kind of tests you could now do so that they were found earlier next time. Thank you for that, Marlette. So uh, as a... Next question to the things about which we are talking about. We, uh, I asked a question about how I can become a better tester, a better, better explorer. But both of you uh, have great experience as uh, teachers, as uh, coaches, as uh, book writers, right? So, so it's, it's, your, it's your thing to teach testing, teach exploring, to, to be better at, at uh, our job. So um, what are your ideas? How do you teach testing, teach exploring, how to teach this to others, right? How can we um, make others better at this? Uh, Maret, maybe this time with you, you could start. So my style of teaching has changed a lot over the years. And I was showing slides that I thought were inspirational and people liked them a lot. Uh, then... Uh, on, I started having exercises where I would make people pair and they loved it a lot like you know having someone else to test with uh, they really enjoyed it but I never knew after those if they actually had learned what I was trying to teach or if they were just inspired and I then uh, personally kind of realized there's a thing called ensemble testing uh, then getting people together on an actual problem sharing the same thing it helps me kind of interject into showing how a thing could be done 
then two people are doing it after I showed how it's done. And, and just kind of like realizing that, you know, some of these people in the group have no idea of how to do exploratory testing. So they get very, very basics. Whereas some people like, you know, if Elizabeth ever ends up in your session, it's it's going to turn into a more advanced session. She's a really good explorer. And, and there's a couple of other people like named from UK that do the same kind of impact when, when they show up in your sessions. Like it's just, you know, a single person can really take the, everyone in the in the group up by by communicating very clearly about what's their intent, what kind of thing they would like us to be testing, how do we kind of like box the, the thing that we were, were about to do. So nowadays it's uh, uh, from people at different problems and seeing how far they get with one session and deciding what the next session with that group should be about. I have a follow-up to that one, uh, and it's uh, not only for out of curiosity, but also from from a uh, oh my god, I, I'm a I'm a teacher as well, so I'm very interested. Uh, Maret, what do you think? Is it better to work with a group that have a similar level, maybe just different experiences, like the different industries, but the same level of of of, um, of uh, experience, or better to have a variation of very junior people and very senior people in one group. What's what, what works better as a setup? I don't think it's better or worse. That's not really the, the scale, but it's more on the scale of uh, if you always end up in a group of new as a more senior person, probably uh, can only learn so much in that group. Like you can learn for a while, mm -hmm. but if that you stay, then uh, it you so meet people up so that you find the surprising kind of you know serendipitous gems that someone has uh that's what what you do and i'd love to actually be able to test a lot more with uh, really senior people but also sometimes with senior people everyone thinks we know what we should be doing next so well that we just end up uh, arguing <laughs> instead of really collaborating so the mixed groups often um uh, help create that respect of, of, you know, making everyone space. And, you know, people learn one thing, other people, other things. And together, when we kind of do a 360 on what people learned, we, we can emphasize things that the whole group got. And sometimes the new BIs, it's, it's a great way of um, kind of reducing what was important. Thank you for that follow-up answer. And uh, Anna-Marie, getting back to the previous question, like the or original one, how to teach others to be better testers, right? What kind of uh, techniques, skills, uh, do you have maybe some kind of uh, approach uh, that you use uh, and you think that this might be interesting to develop your teams, right? So I think, um, you know, you've got to think about what, what um, wh where you are and what you're trying to achieve. So, I mean, if you're in a lecture, like I, I lectured at university, it's a very, very different type of training that you would give to, um, a group of people that you're at work with. And I think it's important to acknowledge that difference. Personally, um, I've tried to put my formal training into a workplace and, and it you get mixed success really. What, what I found has worked um, at a workplace is to identify moments when you can do some do some training. It, it's it's nearly like training on the spot. And you know, it's sort of like there's a there's a situation and it's like, oh, exploratory testing might be good for this. Why don't we have a go doing that? And we do some actual learning or group 
um, you know, doing it as a group. I've, I've done training sort of as a team where we go off and I try and identify something that is relevant to them. I think that really is useful when you're in a workplace. Um, at university, it, it's a more sterile. You've got examples or pre-existing models. And the challenge with exploratory testing, you know, is that you're actually, it's, it's a creative thing. And, and to, to do it as a kind of exercise where everybody knows all the answers anyway, it sort of misses the point, you know? It, it's kind of that discovery. How do you help people discover and learn about that discovery? It can be quite quite um, a challenging thing in a sterile type of environment. Um, so the, the exercises need to be well thought out and you need to have a thinking, have a good understanding of what, sorts of questions you're going to ask the team or ask the group and how to help them probe deeper. Um, it, it's all through the questions that you use, you know, sort of how else might, you know, how else, what else, you know, how did it go and having discussions about what you experienced. And, and you know, for me, the real learning comes through the introspection at the end of, of you know, what did we learn there? What just happened? Um, you know, and trying to help people identify that actually they are doing something profoundly different to what they normally do and identify what those things are so they can walk away sort of with that deeper understanding of, of exploratory testing is, is not just bashing on the keyboard, it's, it's more than that. Thank you for that. And uh, similarly, I have a follow-up to uh, to what you said. Do you have any ideas how to make people more engaged Right, either on the university in this very sterile, sterile environment, or in like a office environment where you are doing a course for some particular group. How to make people get out of the room uh, with some reflection and maybe even some interest? I need to dig deeper into that topic because I believe that would be a perfect situation. So, so I think you need to temper a bit of reality here. That that you know, you're not going to touch, not everyone's going to walk away profoundly impacted by, by your training. <laughs> um, I think I think the reality is, and also particularly in the workspace, people are under a lot of pressure, especially to deliver. And it's, you know, it, 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 to give, you've got to provide people with that time and space. So, so it, it, it's, I would, you know, removing, potentially removing people from sort of into a different room and just allowing that space. Um, I think just keep the expectations in a sense low um, in the sense of you've got to take people on their journey. So, you know, the expectations is just just a little bit more rather than this massive kind of gestalt moment. Um, and I think that often it's your excitement, your passion will they'll see that and they'll that that's what sort of they'll go, well, hang on a second, maybe there's more to this because I'm really interested in it, you know, um, because this person appears to be really interested in it. Maybe it's worth me digging a bit deeper. Um, and, and, and look, this is hot, easier said than done, but it's, it's you know, people sometimes come in with assumptions that it's easy to do or, you know, that there's not a lot to it. So I guess helping them again through the questions, you know, it's like, what exactly happened there? What what did we do to help them sort of think a bit deeper um, about what they actually did and, and what they achieved? I think that helps a little bit of introspection um, and, and, you know, sort of just encourages people to walk away with a little bit of more thinking. 
or facilitate the learning process. I heard once that, like this expression, I really liked it. Yeah, mm. thank you for that. And I think this is a good moment to jump into the questions from the from the uh, people that we have on the slider, especially that we, I will start by piggybacking on one of the things that you said that in the office environment, that's true, we have very often uh, some pressure, right? And I wonder um, how to introduce exploratory tests in an environment where you have this project pressure, you not always have the time, right, for, for that. And I'm piggybacking on the question from Michał. So could you share some your some tips and tricks how to introduce exploratory tests in a big organization that are just oriented towards test automation? Michał, would you like to follow up something, add something to your question? No, um, you know, um, we are uh, so focused in a big organization towards KPI, how much we will deliver, how many test cases will be automated, what are the savings, and we are forgetting um, the, the essential of the testing, uh, the creativity. And um, I'm just wondering how to make it happen uh, in such a big organization. You can select who you you ask the question. <laughs> Both of our speakers, <laughs> probably sure. they have uh, different experience and uh, ways of looking at this kind of topics. Thank you, Michal. Uh, so, ladies, who would like to start? Uh, it's a, it's a tricky one because it's like enterprise. Oh God, you know, it's a, it's a hard one in enterprise. I mean, anything trying to adopt any change in, in enterprise is hard, right? You need uh, you need the enthusiasm bottom up, and you need the top down sort of mandate to to make it happen. I mean, you talk about KPIs and things like that, which immediately, you know, it, it makes it really hard for people to to do exploratory testing. Um, unless it's mandated from the top. Um, otherwise, they're going to, you know, the approach that you do is to um, do it kind of nearly by stealth. And I guess, you know, there's loads of places you can do exploratory testing. Um, the challenge there that I, I am sort of feeling is, is that just because you can do it, is that the change that you really want? I mean, if people are forced to kind of find places to do exploratory testing um, nearly under the covers, is that really the change that that you're looking for? So I think there's some thought that you need to put into that. Um, because you can do exploratory testing, um, you know, if you if your test automation is is the KPI, you can do exploratory testing prior to developing those that test automation. In fact, the act of creating test automation, you're probably doing exploratory testing in that. So, you know, and because you're finding bugs, like as you're doing your test automation, you're actually finding, you're finding bugs and you're raising bugs. So, so that in itself, you know, is our moments of exploratory testing, but it doesn't necessarily give you that mandate at the top that you might need to bring it across a systematic level and have acceptance of exploratory testing. Um, that requires, you know, conversations from with, with senior people, and you're going to have to have champions in that senior willing to, to, to make that space. Um, and yeah, that's a whole different goal, ball game. Oh, what are your thoughts, Marit? See how I just uh, yeah. So first of all, uh, I think you can explore in creating automation, 
And whenever automation fails, it really is a way of, you know, pulling you in to explore some more on why it's failing, especially if it is repeatedly kind of like with a little vague reason, there's probably something you should be exploring a little more. So kind of framing around, uh, want to make my automation better, it's probably already going to help you a lot in, in that kind of an organization. But the way I often do it is, is um, I take one of those positions of power and then I just make the space. So again, all you need is someone in one team, wherever, you know, one of those projects where someone feels want to make space for that. So exploratory testing, you can start introducing that kind of like, you know, couple of hours and like, you know, actually you can just take a test case and extend it. That's already a way of introducing exploratory testing. Like in an insurance company, really bureaucratic. I told people that I expect them uh, to do a half an hour test case in two hours. Great way of introducing exploratory testing. Then the other version is where kind of people feel that they have this process that really puts them into this kind of like a, a tunnel vision. Uh, what they do is every a second Friday, they reserve two hours for uh, group exploratory testing. So they got people together and, and with that social kind of like, you know, let's have coffee and let's have fun. Let's test our software for purpose. You know, that already is something that that's doing in. And then getting to a place where I am, where basically I, I come to work, I start exploring and I leave work. I might stop exploring or I might start exploring something else where it's, it's basically it's the whole mindset and it is how I frame things. Uh, those are all scales on, on how you can try introducing it. So I would probably go, especially if you want to build good automation, just say that, you know, in order to build automation, we expect people to, you know, learn and think of what to put in that automation. And sometimes, you know, challenge people to come up with something they can't do with automation. Like that challenge alone, like let's spend a couple of hours on that, might be a very inspiring thing for you know, the techie people on, on figuring out what might go wrong. So I find that architects and API developers, they're really good at exploratory testing. It's not just testers who are really good at this stuff. I love, Maret, the idea of extending the test case, especially because it's building up one thing, a good habit. Because in my opinion, that should be a normal thing. That if I'm doing a test case, I'm not only following the steps, but afterwards or before I do some, some, uh, I get out of the the way, right? This is somewhere to the left, somewhere to the right. I click here, I click that. So I not only do the the steps, but afterwards I spend some time on exploring the the the, the surrounding of that, right? So so that idea, just building a good habit of of of, of being a good tester, that that when he uh, performs the test case, he's not only doing the checks but he also doing the tests as an activity, right? Uh, so so I, I, I love that um, uh, idea. Uh, Michał, uh, is that uh, answering your question? Do you have maybe some follow-up to that? Yes, uh, it is uh, inspiring. Um, my idea is uh, to drive this uh, by example. One team then just show the benefit and then later on, hopefully roll it out across the company as a, something that is interesting and um, brings value. Testing by example, great, uh, fully agree. Um, uh, I can add one more thing that you can try as well in your organization, uh, testing dojo. 
Uh, developers have a hackathons, and in my organization where I work, we have testing dojos. So uh, twice a year, uh, we have a dojo where we gather together uh, all the testers and very often people outside of testing um, domain. Uh, as Maret suggests, right, we should work with uh, with um, architects, with developers, with uh, BAs, with POs, with people from different domains, and uh, meet together just to test. We we test for the whole day different parts of the system. Sometimes it's it's uh, somehow scripted. Sometimes we have some gamification. Once we had a game, right? So there was a game. There were some like questions. Where in the system you can find this information, or what's the answer to that question? And people had to click over the app to find out. So if somebody knew the system, it was easier. But for others, it was a great exploratory experience. So, so I think that's a good idea as well. Thank you for that question. Thank you very much. And then I think we can jump to the next question, which is quite similar question from um, Hannah. And uh, what advice would you give to the new testers who are trying to get their bearing and create a process? Hannah, do you have something to you would like to add to that question? Yeah, thank you. Um, I just started my first testing job at an organization where they've never had uh, designated testers before. So I feel kind of like thrown into the fire, but it's exciting because I'm, you know, I'm learning a lot of new things, but I guess um, I would love to hear from both of you about what like top priorities you might give to a new person who's trying to like create a process in a place where there hasn't been a process before. I'll give you my top priority first make sure you don't end up doing all the testing. So share the work with developers. I think that's the number one top priority and, and everything else kind of follows. Uh, when you start then figuring out what the others are capable of doing, it's not difficult or it's not actually a problem if they tested the same thing as you did because what slows you down are the problems rather than the, the testing. So when you have to find a lot of problems while you're testing, that's what is, is a lot of effort. And just going through the same things or similar things with different set of eyes, uh, it's probably going to be added value. So uh, make sure that the others don't stop testing because you joined. That's what usually goes wrong for me when I joined as a first tester in a new place where there hasn't been testers before. They just down on you. <laughs> awesome. Thank you. Yeah, that's a great answer. Um, I was like, oh, gosh, take it out. <laughs> always learn something from Marette every time I speak to her. It's fantastic. Um, I um, I think there's, there's a couple of things. One is um, just from an internal perspective is um, really um, look at for you. To, to build that as much experience as you can is to look at the things that, that really interest you and really excite you. Um, I, I try, try and never lose that and focus your kind of learning around those things that are really driving you because it's important that you maintain your, your love of testing. If, you know, if you're loving it, I hope you are. And congratulations on your new job and everything. Um, but, you know, I really think that it's important that you maintain your growth. Um, so, so try and try and sort of have a think about what are the things that you want to get out of it and what, what's important for you. I think that that's essential. Um, I think there is a trap that many people fall into is they feel because it's chaotic and I'm not sure are you in a small company or a, I guess it's a smallish company, yeah? 
Um, it's about like 120 people right now. Okay. But that, All right. And so it's not, yeah. Okay. So, so I think it's um, because of the chaos and it's, I don't know, it, it, you know, people feel like you need to impose something on top or uh, like a process that will help make it all suddenly less chaotic. <laughs> um, my experience is what happens when you do something like that and you put an external process on top is that people go, oh, that's fantastic. And then totally ignore it. Right. And then your job ends up being running around trying to get people to follow the process that they have no intention of ever following. So so I think you just try and avoid that. <laughs> Don't do that. Um, try and figure out what they're doing and 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 work with what they're doing as opposed to saying, let's make it better. And I think you just start where they're at rather than where you want them to be or where you think they should be and then grow together. As Marette said, it's got to be a facilitation. Get some facilitation skills. They're going to be absolutely invaluable to you. Um, having a team get consensus on how they're going to do something, you drive that rather than you driving, writing the strategy for them. Like, so it, it's, it's just a different dynamic and it's going to help you um, because they're they're taking ownership of it, not not you, and it's their process, and that they have much better chance of them taking it on that way than you running around with your clipboard, um, you know. So, and that's no fun for anyone. <laughs> Thank you for that, Anna Maria. I think all of that have been there. Uh, all of us has ha have been there, right? <laughs> so r running like a policeman, but these are the rules we have established, right? So it's yeah, yeah. Uh, Hannah, do you have follow up? No, that was great. That was super helpful. Thank you so much. And thank you for question, Hannah. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, then I think we can jump to the next one, a little bit shifting and getting back on, on how to be better at, at the stuff we are talking about. And the question from Elizabeth, um, how do you help people to build the intuition of where to go next, making the small incremental decision when exploratory testing? Uh, Elizabeth, would you like to uh, add something? Uh, sure. Our friend Alex Schladebeck calls these microheuristics, but what I'm wondering is I've often paired or been in an ensemble with people and they come away at the end thinking, wow, I'm so impressed by what Elizabeth did, but like, that's not the point. That's very nice, but that's not the point, right? What I want them to get is how do they start having that thought process themselves rather than just watching it? And so I'm wondering how you bridge that gap. Great question. Uh, I've, yeah, I'm also interested. So, ladies, uh, look, it's I've had some success with this, and I've had some times where it just I have not managed to do this. So I'm going to kind of temper that, <laughs> um, temper my answer with that. Um, look, if you're at a workplace, my 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 feeling is is that it's going to where because people explore, they just explore in different contexts. I firmly believe if you watch a developer, they're doing a lot of exploratory work. So how can you tap into what their domain is and, and see what they're doing and talk in those terms rather than trying to get them into a different... What, once they see it in their domain, it's easier then for them to transfer that experience into a different domain, into a testing domain. So, so what I would have a think about... No, no success guarantees here, but is can you work with them and, and see how they do it in their context and then try and bring that 
and you know it's like okay now what did you just do there what did you how did you do that you know what what were you thinking when you went to um you know whatever when you googled why why did you just go off and google on 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 um you know sla- you know uh, overflow you know whatever that channel is uh, it's, it's early in the morning here folks <laughs> i'm struggling um we but, know. yeah um so stack it yes that's it um so you know what 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 made you want to do that what what was it and then once they then have a conversation of how might this work in in testing and bring it to that domain i i feel like that would be the most useful um especially when you're working with someone in in the sort of developer type type scenario and maybe you're not maybe it's it's a different different type of skill set that you're working with but what do you think moret It's a very tricky problem, uh, all in all. Uh, I think of this kind of in the, the like I often start by kind of explaining to people how I look at software, that I, I think of it as my internal imagination, and it speaks to me. And then uh, what I usually try to do is not to be the one who impresses, so kind of step out of the group and be outside the group and facilitate with questions rather than be the one who impresses people with all the things that I can come up with. And, and just encourage people with questions on, on creating ideas, uh, ideas that don't end up even being used, but just kind of getting to a place where they start generating more and more ideas. Like, what else could we do? Like, yeah, sure, we could press that button. Like, we could, how else we could do? We could press that button twice. What else we could Usually we could, you know, just click it like crazy. What else could we We can always kind of go back to these repeating questions and make sure that people uh, get to these these kind of like different ideas because when they have those ideas, then they can start creating that intuition of of kind of like, you know, they sort their head and they make choices. And that's, I think, how we've learned to do it. We've been creating a lot of those ideas and we can make in the moment, we can make those choices. And what I find that a lot of the, the newer people or people who haven't been rehearsed as much uh, on this, this type of thing, generating those ideas, it's, it's like you generate one idea and you have to do it before you generate more. So getting to this, this mode of, of uh, the world is endless. So I've, I've had these with some people sometimes on, on uh, the idea that we test everything we, we can. I'm like, no, we never test everything we have in mind like never ever like 100% automated like that means that you're not imagining the world like I am like there's never going to be 100% of things test tested there's always like a really strong cut limit and and sometimes you know making that cut limit also visible kind of like if, if you have only this number of ideas and I say I only percent of ideas get to do that one thing and then then having to feel the pain of not getting to test the things they they had in mind it also might kind of help them create more those ideas that they put on the, the list so again it's really a an experimentation thing but first thing step out of that group stop impressing people and start asking questions you need to be facilitating I have a follow-up. Thank you for that, Maret, but I have a, a follow-up. And um, I think you are, uh, uh, our guests are, are perfect people to, to answer that question. 
how to get out of the group and stop impressing people. Because I can imagine if I would have a workshop with Maret or Anne-Marie uh, or, uh, or uh, any other tester with, with very broad experience, it's hard not to be the person to who they look for the guidance, right? So um, I fully agree that, that it's much better to coach them into finding out the answer by themselves and not just answering uh, two plus two is four, right? They should figure out that two plus two is four. That's much better. But but how to do it if people look at you and see and, and see somebody, some testing guru coming to us, right? Giving the, the workshop and they look for the answers. Uh, I how you can do that, right? In a objective way. <laughs> you have some techniques. Can I maybe? suggest the course that Fiona does on saying no? <laughs> it's an essential <laughs> skill. <laughs> Look, uh, you know, I, you know, I, I, I'm laughing because I'm, th I, I, um, I have teenagers, teenagers, and uh, sometimes you just have to let teenagers fail, right? I mean, they have all the answers in the world, right? Um, and uh, sometimes you just, uh, and they don't necessarily always listen to to great advice. Sometimes it's just, you know, letting them find out. <laughs> Um, and I, 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 I find that I do this quite a bit. Um, it's not for everyone. And I would not say that this is, you know, some people, this, you know, this is not, this approach is not for everyone. But I am very, I am comfortable letting people um, in a group uh, fail in a safe environment. And, you know, clearly if there's a critical system that needs to go out the door and, you know, you know, I, you know, I'm not going to do that. But, but in a situation where it's like, you know what, you know, learning, you know, I think it's a humorat who talks of uh, failure is first attempt in learning, right? Um, and sometimes it just has that's the that's the way it's going to get through. Um, so that is an extreme. It's the band aid approach, um, and and I said it's not for everyone. But if you're willing, and there are consequences to that approach that you have to accept. Um, but um, if, if you know that that is one option, Marat, you and I have talked about this before. You have a different approach. Yeah. And remember what my approach was when we talked about it. <laughs> the, the selective memory. So, but uh, what I was kind of thinking here is uh, a lot of times you can do both. You can first show how you do it, like do a demo session, like really have them do things as you would do it. And then give them a different problem, which is similar but not the same, and make them do it then, and then support them. So you don't, it has to be kind of like, you know, just leaving them alone with the problem. It could be just, you know, repeatable problems where you get a chance of rehearsing. And then what's really important is, is kind of getting feedback on how well it is. And I think that's one of the, the parts where I still struggle on how I create my courses that I'm trying to create now, right now. It's kind of like as an end result of my exploratory testing, these are my results. Yours might be different, but maybe these give you some inspiration of what, you know, if you tried doing all of this, what you might have missed that I found or the other way around, you know, remember to be appreciative also of the fact that I didn't see all of it. That's not the intention. This is not the, the, the complete and, and, and uh, total answer, but it is uh, a, a very good attempt that is worth looking at. As, as a reference. Thank you very much for that, Maret. Uh, Elizabeth, do you have any follow-ups to your original question by after what you heard? I have no follow-up. 
Okay. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, Hannah, you have some comment. Uh, maybe you would like to add something? Um, well, it reminded me a lot of like active learning, which is, it's a technique that I learned. Um, I was, I went to a full stack boot camp and I ended up working there teaching web development. And um, a lot of the instructors came from um, Teach for America, which is a nonprofit here that, um, you know, educates new teachers. And this is a technique that they used where it's like, you know, everybody wants the problem. And it's kind of exactly like Anne-Marie said, like, it's so easy to just like give you the problem, but how do you learn from there? But, um, but if you kind of guide them into like the step-by-step and it's like, okay, well, we got here. So what do you think we do next? And then sometimes we're going to fail and then you end up getting stuck and blocked, but it's also working through that and realizing why you failed. So, um, so yeah, active learning is something that, you know, we really appreciate it as an approach. And I feel like you get a bit more of a, a return from it. Thank you very much. I think that was a, a really good uh, follow-up and, and uh, also example to, to how to approach that situation. And uh, thank you, uh, Elizabeth, for the question. Uh, I think we can uh, now move to the next one. Then I think really interesting from uh, Joseph. Um, what are some good ways to encourage people to see exploration possibilities in regression testing? Right. We, we talked a little bit about that one, right? So during the, the test cases that you can always uh, move right or left, right? So spend more time on that one. But uh, are there any more good ways to encourage people to see exploration possibilities in regression testing? Joseph, do you have any follow-up to that question? Um, yeah, but it's a thing I've noticed that if you, uh, if you suggest to people, let's do exploratory testing on this new feature, then everyone is, yeah, sure. And, and then you also have some regression testing before the release to do, and you have to cover the most important functionality that hasn't changed in, I don't know, perhaps three years. And whenever I then say something, ooh, let's do exploratory testing or um, even show enthusiasm for doing it, people are like, oh, it's the same as always, let's just get... And uh, it seems like that's like a... Yeah, even more challenging area to find those micro heuristics to get into that experimentation mindset. Uh, and yeah, that bugs me sometimes when I see that. <laughs> but how to uh, yeah move or help people move past that. Thank you for that question, Joseph. Maybe this time you could start with Maret. Um, go Maret. First of <laughs> all, kind of like... Oh, uh, I find that my current strategy includes always automating as much of the, the uh, what we call regression testing as possible. And the exploratory part of regression really kind of gets intertwined with the, the changes we're making. And I don't really care if it's, it's regression testing per se, or if it's testing uh, of existing features with known expectations based on the change we were making on the system. So the the uh, patterns, like the, the tests that I have to execute, I've been making them, them smaller and smaller every single round uh, of changes. So it's it's much more around the change and much less on the, the regression itself. But when forced into doing regression, I actually have this, this rule of thumb basically saying I should never be bored. Uh, nowadays, with automation, I also think that maybe uh, being bored is better than, than being afraid. Uh, 
You know, sometimes we used to be afraid in the regression rounds and we needed to be really alert and, and we had to use all kinds of mechanisms for that. But generally, board means for me that uh, if I have to do this, I can at least change something. So if I have to log in, I'm going to create a new user. And if I have to log in and I created a new user last time, I'm not going to create a new user. I'm going to find the oldest user that I can ever find in the whole organization. And like again, like you play with so many details that just kind of getting that in spite of, of, of having this uh, mentality, uh, I find that I find surprising bugs in the regression testing and that will make people happy. So uh, they would rather me think in that in the, the, the change testing uh, around the changes and again, it's moving it back to that that stage and doing as little of regression testing as possible. But you need to go through that loop of learning so that you can move that mindset of this is actually where we are doing most of the regression testing. And not all organizations are ready for that. Maret, you, you just made uh, exploratory uh, regression testing interesting because I always thought that the regression testing are as boring as well, they are very boring. Just, just, just let me stop there. Right? You just made them like a game for me because I can make what's the oldest user that I can find for that test. And, and you can exp ex expand that to any other var variable I have in the in the script, right? So <laughs> you just made it a game. Uh, thank you for that. Game. Yeah, thank you but for it's that. It's also like uh, we never really looked at all the aspects of the thing in the first place when it turned into a regression test. So there is still more perspective that we can add to it. So uh, even though we think of it as regression testing and, and the main thing is making sure things that used to work still work, we should be open to finding bugs. Otherwise, it's, it's like, you know, why are we even doing it if we're approaching it with the idea that something might be wrong? It's just territory. Thank you, Maret. Anne-Marie? Yeah, so I was just about to kind of go into that. So I, I think for, um, I think regression testing for starters, has a lot of loaded, it's a loaded word uh, and a loaded by synonymous boring. So um, I, I um, often cancel regression testing. We don't do regression testing anymore. <laughs> um, but let's do risk-based testing. Let's focus on, you know, where's the biggest risks um, in the system and let's make sure that we're covering all those. That's the most important thing, not new feature versus old feature or whatever. Um, the risks are probably, yes, of course, the new feature itself, which is, as you said, very exciting, but it's also the integration of that new feature into the system. So where are the risks there and what is the appropriate thing, given that I'm never going to be able to test everything anyway, where are the core risks that I need to do and how can I focus on those? So I think it's kind of changing I guess the map a little bit or changing the nature of the map. It's kind of, we're gonna use a different map. Um, but I think also like if you've got a system that is is pretty old and very reliable and, and you know, it's just been there for 50 years and it's just doing the same thing again and again. I was like, is there a risk worth testing for? You know, I mean, I think these are some of the questions that are useful to ask. And, you know, is maybe the automation framework okay, do I need to be doing a huge amount of exploratory testing on this? I mean, maybe it's okay. Um, if it's not okay and that you feel that there is a risk there, well, that's let's talk about that because that's interesting, right? Um, but just doing regression in an exploratory way for its sake, I, I just, you know, 
what a, asking what I'm trying to achieve out of that is would be where I would start in there. Um, finding different ways and 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 approaching different ways. Um, as as Marit said, it's you know making it into a game, looking at from you know different types of users or just switching it around um, into kind of user journeys versus you know trying you know just trying to have a different sort of dimension on that can be useful but again it's limited I mean I think you know um, if someone told me that I would be doing regression testing as the only thing that I would be doing for my whole career in that sense uh, I I would be like <gasps> you know with regardless of the amount of exploratory testing I could do so mixing it up and not expecting people to do all that all the time so regression testing wouldn't be kind of test that you would take to a desert island, right? <laughs> okay. Yeah, I, that sounds terrible. <laughs> uh, thank you very much for that, Anna. Uh, Anna Marie. Uh, Joseph, do you have any follow-up? No, no. Thanks for your answers. Okay. Uh, thank you very much for the question. Uh, we have last question that I have um, on Slido then. Mm. Uh, and uh, it's from Esther. Do you think that the time box sync um, is important for exploration? I would even make it more broader. So how important is the time boxing for, or is it even important for, for uh, exploratory testing? Um, Anne-Marie, could we start with you? So there, there is nowhere in exploratory testing that says you have to spend a certain time on, on exploratory testing. Um, so I think maybe where this idea of time boxes comes from something called session-based test management, which is a form of structure that you can apply into exploratory testing. And it's very useful, um, especially if you're working with people who don't necessarily do exploratory testing as a full time. Like when I'm working as an exploratory tester, I don't put a limit. I tend not to put a limit on myself. Um, mostly um, I explore until I've run out of ideas <laughs> that's, that's that's my stopping heuristic in a way um so i but i i feel like i have the confidence to do that and i feel i'm i'm in control of my testing i decide when to start and when to stop um in lots of places that's not possible um and um it's useful to 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 time box um I find uh time boxing works really well with uh working with people who don't do exploratory testing or maybe find they're a little bit intimidated by exploratory testing. So if I say, okay, well, look, we're just going to do 30 minutes of exploratory testing. Um, it takes away a lot of the fear of, you know, um, having takes the pressure off the situation a little bit, you know, it's kind of regardless of whether we find bugs or not, we're going to stop after 30 minutes. And, and, you know, that sort of is useful for, I find that's useful for people to kind of time box it in that sense. Um, but I think the, the beauty of exploratory testing is everyone's different, isn't it? I mean, we all like to work in different ways and we all like to have different parameters. And that's, for me, that's the whole beauty is, is, is making it your own by working it in a way you can that works for you um, and your team. Thank you for that, Anne-Marie, and uh, I fully agree that everybody is uh, different, especially because I have a little bit different take on the time boxing. Uh, before we jump into you, Marat, I would like to give an example of what uh, I have in mind. I really like time boxing because, uh, well, the, the, there is the, the beauty and of the freedom that um, I test until I get out of the ideas. Uh, 
But at the same time, at least uh, for me, uh, when I get out of ideas and I still have some more time, then in my mind there's create this void and the void uh, vacuums some other ideas that I thought that I don't have, but I actually have them, right? Because my, my mind hate void. Uh, for example, my, the perfect place where I came up with the greatest ideas and where I came up uh, even with the idea for, for this panel, for Midcast, uh, was when I walked my dog. I put headphones in my ears. I put some music that doesn't make me think about anything. And actually, I think about nothing. And that's the best place where, where some creative ideas happens, right? So when you time box for four hours and I have, I'm out of ideas after two hours, I still have two hours to fill out. And maybe there are some additional ideas that we, I will come up to. Of course, it always depends because if, if if I will not come up with any ideas, just don't waste time, right? But 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 creating this void, I think, might be useful. Uh, at least that's my my take on that. Uh, uh, thank you, Anne Marie. Uh, Maret. So, uh, it might be that Anne Marie has a particular skill in 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 terms of risk. And, and her completion criteria is kind of refined already so that the time box comes from kind of implicitly from the idea of what will I use my time on? And it already includes that little space for thinking. That's a very typical thing to see in someone who's been doing this a little longer. But uh, I've seen the need of time boxing, particularly with some of the colleagues who are very uncomfortable with taking risks. Like when people don't want to take risks, but they actually want to cover everything and it is just not possible and they don't have the skill of dealing with the risks, you know, kind of within their own mind. It is helpful to say that you can do as much as in four hours, but not more. So you better do the best testing you can in those four hours, because after that, you know, doing something like I've had colleagues use like a there's been like a five minute change from the developers and they want to use two three weeks on exploring after it and and there's no risk that they can outline for that but they kind of want to you know go through all the things you know uh, they they might not even have a model of of if we change something here where that that might have an impact so kind of like you know something changed in the firewall change we'll test the whole firewall so time boxing for that type of people is, is a very important. I don't time box uh, my own testing unless I want to uh, use that as a mechanism of reporting. And that usually comes from a, a micromanaging project manager who needs metrics. And then for them to leave me alone, then I use heavy time boxing on my own testing. Thank you for that answer. Uh, we are free, we still have more questions on Slido, and I have some more questions in my head. But I believe that we have to conclude because we are very close to the end time of our meeting. Uh, so at the end, uh, I would like to really uh, thank uh, all of you uh, for joining the meetup, especially our guests. I learned a lot today, right? I was thinking that this will be a great platform for, for other people to learn, but I always end up with thinking that I think I'm the one that, that have the, the, the most out of, um, of, of these conversations because I have so many ideas after each, uh, each, uh, each call. So 
Thank you very much, uh, Anne-Marie and Maret, for this really inspiring talk. Thank you for all the guests for spending your evening or morning, depending where you are. <laughs> with us, you could be drinking beer tonight with your friends, but you are here. Well, you couldn't. We have COVID. <laughs> but, but you could uh, watch Netflix or HBO, and you decided to join here. So thank you very much. And uh, at the end, uh, Anne-Marie, Maret, any last words that you would like to say to conclude the today's meeting? I, I just say exploratory testing. I mean, probably probably speaking to the to the choir here, but I love exploratory testing and exploratory testing rocks, and it's it's a lot of fun. Go do it. <laughs> Twenty five years in testing, and I have no intention of stopping. The best job ever. Mm -hmm.